Hello, everyone. My name is Brett Kimball, and welcome once again to 21st Century Outdoors, a podcast where we take a look at directors who have shown a distinct style throughout their body of work. Last week, we discussed Quentin Tarantino and his bloody, pun entirely intended, dialogue, blocking of actors, and violence that permeates each and every one of his films in one way or another. As promised at the end of the episode, this week we'll be t- talking about Wes Anderson. Rather than go through every single one of his films, I'll be analyzing what is significant style-wise about his films and give examples from certain films for each facet of his directing style. Anderson is significantly different than Tarantino in many ways, and I'm looking forward to going through an entirely different style of our tour this episode. Without further ado, let's jump into today's episode on Wes Anderson. So just to give a brief overview of Wes Anderson, he was born May 1st, 1969 in Houston, Texas, and had just loved filmmaking since he was a kid, um, had a Super 8 camera that he loved shooting little films on with his brothers and friends growing up. Um, after high school, went to the University of Texas at Austin, and um, he where his roommate actually was his um, good friend and now often um, actor in many of his films. Owen Wilson graduated with a degree in philosophy and then um, a few years later made Bottle Rocket and the rest is history. To begin talking about Wes Anderson, I'd like to just give a brief overview of his movies in case you've seen any of his films but maybe didn't know he directed them. So just a quick rundown in order. His films are Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, The Royal Tenenbaums, the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, The Darjeeling Limited, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Isle of Dogs, and um, upcoming, hopefully will be released in July of this summer, The French Dispatch, which I am super excited for. As with many auteurs, Anderson's style has certainly developed over the years, but I feel that many elements of even in his more recent movies, such as Isle of Dogs and the Grand Budapest Hotel, you can still see elements that were in films like Bottle Rocket and Rushmore, just maybe not as much in his earlier films. Things like his um, shot composition, framing, costumes, even, even the actors he uses, although not as strong early on, can certainly be seen in Bottle Rocket in Rushmore, just maybe not as punctuated into the degree that they are in his later films. He's many times used actors like his friend Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson in many of his films, and even the way that they act within his films has certainly developed over time, just due to the way that um, his writing is as well. He's very blunt in his dialogue. It can sound a little deadpan at times, but it's nonetheless always very exciting, always very engaging. But um, like we said last week with Quentin Tarantino, his characters aren't necessarily cool and suave with very punchy dialogue. So I'll just throw a clip in here just to give you an idea of maybe what a conversation between two people in a Wes Anderson movie is like compared to Tarantino because it is so significantly different. Who are you? I'm Zero, sir. The new lobby boy. Zero, you say? Yes, sir. Well, I've never heard of you, never laid eyes on you. Who hired you? 
Mr. Mosher, sir. Mr. Mosher? Yes, Monsieur Gustav. Am I to understand you've surreptitiously hired this young man in the position of a lobby boy? He's been engaged for a trial period, pending your approval, of course. Uh, perhaps, yes. Thank you, Mr. Mosher. You're most welcome, Monsieur Gustav. You're now going to be officially interviewed. Should I go and light the candle first, sir? What? No. Experience. Hotel Kinski, kitchen boy, six months. Hotel Berlitz, mop and broom boy, three months. Before that, I was a skillet scrubber. Experience in the... zero. Thank you again, Mr. Gustav. Straighten that cap, Anatole. The pleasure's mine, Herr Schneider. Mr. Asbusters. These are not acceptable. I fully agree. Education. I studied reading and spelling. I started my primary school. I almost finished. Education, zero. Now it's exploded. Good morning, Cicero. Call the goddamn plumber. This afternoon, Monsieur Gustav. Will that fail for our league? What on hell is this? Not now. Family. Zero. Six, you go. That clip was from my personal favorite Wes Anderson movie, The Grand Budapest Hotel. And it is when Monsieur Gustave, who is the head um, butler, concierge, pretty much just runs the hotel, first meets his new hiree, Zero. And I think that that conversation really encapsulates Anderson's dialogue very well, just because it's it's very, it's quick, it's punchy, they're both very blunt, and then that little pause at the end there, re- from Zero, when he before he says that he has Zero family, really just emphasizes and hits that point home and just kind of give just lets us know about both characters off the jump, and I think that it's a really great setup for how their relationship will evolve over time because obviously Monsieur Gustave really doesn't even have much time for him at first. This is while they're basically speed walking through the lobby to the elevator. Obviously, Mr. Gustave has a ton of things to do to keep the hotel up and running. And it's just a really great jumping off point. I think it's a really great example of the way Anderson writes dialogue. The next and most important um, bit of what makes Anderson such an outdoor that really was the first thing I noticed about his style is the way he frames shots and the, the way he places actors in shots and the mise-en-scene he uses to kind of guide our eyes towards certain things in the shot. Oftentimes, if there's two characters talking, they, it, he won't switch between over the shoulders, almost never. He'll just have both of them framed perfectly evenly, often from the side, staring right at each other. And I think that that kind of adds to to the dialogue even as well, because we're, you never, you almost never get a single unless they're looking dead at the camera for a brief second. And it's usually with, with that quick snappy dialogue kind of just adds to the bluntness, yet the emotionality of all of this, the scenes he writes. And I think it also adds to the mise-en-scene surrounding the characters because though we're looking at the characters talking, there there's often so much color involved, so much. Um, what I'm trying to say is that Anderson's sets are often kitschy, eye-popping, and overall just the his characters are often more so a part of the set even because the, um, his costuming as well 
It's just so eye-popping. And I think the way his style of framing and his blocking of actors and the way he shoots, even if it's in action scenes, take another example from the Grand Budapest Hotel. There's one point where there are literally groups of people shooting at each other from either side of this, um, the sort of the balconies on either side of the one of the floors of the hotel. And instead of making these characters run through having these quick cuts and quick constant um, back and forths with moving cameras, he just places the camera right in the middle, has them not move whatsoever, and just. It, it, I just I remember the first time I saw that I just never seen anything like it. I'd never seen an action scene that was just so straight on, perfectly framed. We pretty much got the view from everybody in the scene. You could you could see everybody that was on either side of the floor, and I just think that in in framing things like that, although many people couldn't make that work because he structures the entire film in that way, we would be he'd be remiss to not do that, even for an action scene like that. The next aspect of Anderson's filmmaking that I'd like to talk about that I think is another very, very uniquely outdoor thing for him is his costuming. Now, I know a lot of other directors have certain ways that they often dress their characters, such as Tarantino often has, you know, men in uniform or wearing suits, or um, the, the Coens often kind of dress their characters a little more drab and slightly buttoned up. But Anderson really gives every one of his characters a very, very unique outfit that almost always fits their personality. Take um, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, for example. I feel that this is the best example of his extremely distinct costuming. Because all of the three children of Royal Tenenbaum all are dressed vastly differently, fitting their personalities. So Ben Stiller's character, Chas, is constantly wearing a red jumpsuit. Gwyneth Paltrow's character, Margot, wears this big, puffy fur coat. And Luke Wilson's character, Richie, always has a headband and skate shoes because he was a, um, a famous tennis player. Now, all of these, it makes it even more interesting because they, they kind of match all of the children's pasts, but, and they all really fit their personalities as well, but they're all back under the same roof again. They're all facing the same problem again of kind of more or less a midlife crisis with Royal trying to kind of tie everybody back together, but it all we're we're constantly reminded that they're each still their own individual person at the core. This isn't entirely them. Um, I think Rushmore is another great example of this, where um, Jason Schwartzman's character, Max Fisher, he has a very distinct style of his own. He, he, although he wears a school uniform in a lot of it, but he, he again, he kind of has his own little style about it. He wears these very distinct glasses. He even just has um, a little mole on his face, kind of just separating the rest, separating him from the rest of his class, the rest of his schoolmates. He's kind of an outcast who feels that he's more adult almost than a lot of the other kids. And it, it's also very fitting for him because he does all of these insane extracurricular activities, starts all these clubs, 
and is just kind of his own very quirky sort of person, which you'd think would kind of go with, okay, somebody that looks like this probably does really well in school too, but he's failing most of his classes because of all of these extracurricular activities that he just can't keep up with. So I think that that sort of dress almost is is interesting too because it kind of points us to think one way about a certain character when in reality Anderson says oh no just because he looks like this in fact he's actually does all these sports clubs does all these um just extra sort of clubs and activities and whatever else that you wouldn't exactly think would fit that style of dress the Grand Budapest Hotel and Moonrise Kingdom kind of go the other way with Anderson's costuming, where just about everybody is wearing the sort of same style of uniform. But I think that this works all, honestly even better for these films because it's kind of showing us, okay, these people in Moonrise Kingdom's case, they're um, campers and camp counselors on a small New England island. And in the Grand Budapest Hotel's case, they're working at this sort of wonderful ski resort type of hotel in a made-up country in Europe, almost around World War II, or Wes Anderson's version of World War II. And it, it, that also makes it interesting in the Grand Budapest Hotel because his version of Nazis within the film also have their own very distinct style of uniform, almost reminiscent of actual Nazi uniforms. But it just kind of lets us know who's who, who has what motivations. But it also makes it interesting in these films because in each film, there are characters that um, sort of just break the mold of what everywhere else that's wearing the same uniform as them is doing. Um, Jared Gilman's character, Sam, and Kara Hayward's character, Susie, in Moonrise Kingdom start, well, not Susie, but Sam starts off at this camp finds Susie wants to just run away with her and break this mold of just doing whatever at this boys camp. So it, it is interesting once he goes off, he wears this um this sort of Davy Crockett-esque cap too, which is nice because it does give him just that little bit more personality even when he's wearing the uniform. And then in the case of Monsieur, Monsieur Gustave and Zero in the Grand Budapest Hotel, despite them wearing those nice purple uniforms and even though everybody at the hotel that wears those uniforms is also a little quirky they are almost just i don't want to say above everybody else but they're they have more personality they they just see their world a little differently and that's why i think it's interesting that in the case of these two films it's just so significantly different from his earlier films like the royal tenenbaums and um uh rushmore and also in um, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, I think that that was sort of the transitional movie in terms of his costuming, because though everybody's wearing the same uniform, they all are more extremely, extremely bold personalities on this ship. Every Everybody kind of has their own part to play. So I think just the, the progression of what Anderson does with his costuming and the way he's kind of used it to create characters is definitely interesting because you might think that he would go the other way with that and start with kind of everybody having similar uniforms. And then as he goes along, figuring out how to kind of make everybody more distinct in their costuming. But I, I do find it interesting that he went the other way because maybe it was even a bit of a challenge for him 
him being able to say, okay, you know what? I can have everybody kind of wearing the same thing, but I'm just going to make their dialogue and their personality so different that you're going to know who's most important in certain situations anyways. The next aspect of Anderson's filmmaking that I'd really like to talk about is his use of color, both in his costume design, just a little bit more, and then also in his set design and even just filters he uses in certain films. So obviously, as I mentioned before, in films like Grand Budapest, um, the the costuming is very like purple heavy and it's very um, almost more like pastelish. There's lots of light blues, lots of pinks, even in what others are wearing. And in, in the set especially, um, the hotel, because it starts in more present day, goes back to the 60s where Zero as an older man is telling the story and then goes back to the 30s where most of the film takes place. Anderson um, kind of colors the hotel even a little differently when we get a quick shot of each of its stages, almost of as it becomes more worn down over the years. So it is interesting when we go back to see that. Um, uh, for Mendel's um, pastry company in the film, it's very like um, light blue and pink oriented. But then also um, Adrian Brody and Willem Dafoe's characters who play the um, the two villains, sorry, excuse me, the two villains in the film, they're um, dressed in all black with like very like metallic rings and such on, which directly contrasts the more brighter colors of his protagonists. Um, also in even um, like the Darjeeling Limited, just the way that the the train is colored it's very um ye like yellows and greens and blues which and then which makes it feel almost more like aquatic and bright inside the train contrasted with um the uh the the dry hot um indian air on the outside so it makes it interesting um the way the colors contrast between inside of the train and um outside of the train in the royal tenenbaums it's the same thing Obviously, with Chas's red jumpsuit, as I mentioned, really, it's I wouldn't say it's used as heavily here, but again, as his films have gone along, he's sort of let colors really, really pop a little more in all of these instances. Um, even in Bottle Rocket, though, it's kind of just um, dry and hot, and he really kind of lets us know that through... Um, like very like rolling shots of like greens and blues, but even the filters he puts on, um, even like the contrast of just the the filter with even like the swimming pool at their hotel. There's just um, so many instances of color that kind of set the tone of not only the characters but also the atmosphere, the temperature, where they're living. Again, in the Grand Budapest Hotel, there's a scene where they're sledding through sort of like a pretty much just down a mountain and just everything is white. It's You can tell it's freezing. It's bitterly cold to watch. There's these bright white and blue glaciers there, too. And I just think the way he does that is really amazing. But I think chief most in terms of color for Anderson is in the Life Aquatic with of Steve with Steve Zizou. Um, just the the contrast of the baby blue jumpsuits 
with the red hats on the darker blue ocean. I think just it really, really pops and it really makes for just it's just that much more pleasant to watch, in my opinion. Now for our final segment, now that you've heard a little more about Wes Anderson, his films and the outdoor theory surrounding him, we're going to do another five trivia questions. These being just on pretty much just about Anderson's films, um, maybe just some actors in them. We will be avoiding spoilers, so don't worry about that. But um, if you haven't seen at least a good handful of his films, you might not be able to get these, but might as well give them a shot anyways. This will be real quick, so let's jump right into it. Question number one. What actor has been in all of Anderson's movies except for Bottle Rocket? Is it A, Bill Murray, B, Tom Cruise, C, Johnny Depp, or D, Samuel L. Jackson? If you guessed A, Bill Murray, you are correct. On to question number two. Question number two. How many stop motion films has Anderson made? A, one, B, two, C, three, or D, four? If you guessed B, two, you are correct. On to question number three. Question number three. Here's one to see if you were paying attention. What is the name of Anderson's upcoming movie? Is it A, The Italian Papers, B, The Japanese Parchment, C, The French Dispatch, or D, The French Gazette? If you guess C, The French Dispatch, thanks for paying attention. You got it. On to question number four. Question number four. Which of Anderson's films won Best Motion Picture for a Musical or Comedy at the Golden Globes? Is it A, The Royal Tenenbaums, B, The Grand Budapest Hotel, C, Isle of Dogs, or D, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou? If you guessed the Grand Budapest Hotel, B, you are correct. On to our fifth and final question. Question five. Here's a bit of a tough one, but if you really know Anderson, you'll probably get this one. Where does he currently live? Is it A, New York, B, Paris, C, Houston, or D, Los Angeles? If you guessed B, Paris, you are correct, and you certainly know you're Wes Anderson. Thanks for playing. All right, I hope you enjoyed that trivia, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't seen many of Anderson's films, or even if you've only seen a few, I hope that this maybe piqued your interest a little more. I know Grand Budapest Hotel and the Royal Tenenbaums, they're probably my two favorites, personally. Um, I know a lot of people have seen those, but I would certainly, certainly, certainly recommend checking out films like Rushmore and even Bottle Rocket, just to kind of understand Anderson more if you really enjoy his films. Um, I hope that you kind of can see what I mean, even if you've only seen a handful of his films or even just one, when I, what I mean in terms of framing and color and costuming and dialogue that really permeates all of his films and, I, and just really can hopefully see, even if you've, again, maybe seen three or four of his films, how he's progressed over time and how he's changed many of these aspects over time, but they still are often constant in one way or another throughout his movies. I hope maybe that even if you've seen a bunch of his movies a bunch of times, that maybe you learned something new today. 
And um, that does it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed and I will see you next week.